I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. What would an apology do to you? You know, hearing your tormentor try to apologize and knowing that they only understand, you know, one one hundredth of what they've done to you. You don't own me. I'm not your property. So take a shift a little bitty eye over me. It could trigger rage that you had thought you had buried or dealt with. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, a podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode. And we especially think it helps to talk it out about that season finale. We're not done with it. Um, I'm Fiona Williams and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS. And I'm joined by my friends, colleagues and fellow resistors. Natalie Handley, Managing Editor of SBS Voices. Hello. Hayley Island, Channel Manager of SBS On Demand. Hi. And Sana Kadar, host of All in the Mind for ABC Radio National. Hello. Hello. Look, we don't have any fresh episodes of The Handmaid's Tale to recap, but we do have the director of the season finale joining us in a minute. So, yeah, we just, we can't stop talking about (laughs) this finale. You can't make us. Um, So we will have Liz Garbus joining us very soon in our Zoom room. We're all such fans of Liz Garbus. Yes. And I don't, like, I I hope everyone's familiar with her work. She's an incredible documentary filmmaker and, and producer. She's behind so many documentaries that we hope you've seen. You may have seen What Happened, Miss Simone. There's a fantastic mm. Nina Simone documentary that's available at Netflix. She's done I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which we'll speak to it a bit more with her, but um, the story of the Golden State Killer across California in the 1970s and 80s and Love Marilyn. She did a Marilyn Monroe documentary, which has screened across SBS. We've had a lot of her films across SBS in past years, including a documentary about the New York Times called The Fourth Estate. So she comes from a very strong documentary background this is her first time, right, um, working on Handmaids. On Handmaids, yes, mm. her, her debut episode on Handmaids is the season four finale. So, so much crossover there in the in the themes. But yes, we can't wait to talk to Liz Garbus. Honestly, what an amazing episode to join the show on. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the one. <laughs> yeah, well done. <laughs> so, look, we're armed with questions, and we uh, we're going to pepper them at Liz Garbus. So, can't wait for her to join our Zoom room. Liz Garbus, welcome to Eyes on Gilead. We are thrilled to have the chance to recap the events of your momentous season finale. We're huge fans of the show and of your work. Um, SBS, the broadcaster that uh, that Handmade Screens on here, we, we've had a number of your documentaries through the years, like Fourth Estate and Love, Marilyn, um, a whole bunch of them. So it, it's a real treat to talk to you on a lot of levels. You've spent your career examining, you know, the criminal justice system and the politics of race and class and gender with your factual films. I imagine that makes you kind of uniquely placed to cap off this season of Handmaids, which has so, been so focused on ideas of justice. Um, do you think that or am I putting words in your mouth there? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for your, your kind words. I appreciate it. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. Um, 
<laughs> my travels through the U.S. criminal justice system and also um, my explorations of various female heroines, I do think um, informed my direction of this season finale. Um, you know, as we all know, The Handmaid's Tale contains harrowing uh, echoes of, of um, realistic events. And of course, you know, the psychology in it um, while Gilead is um, not a real world and these are these are fictional characters, the psychology is very, very real and very grounded in, um, you know, true experiences and reactions to trauma. I had made a series, I don't know if it's come to Australia yet for HBO, called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which featured many survivors of um rape um, of, a, of a sort of a serial rapist and killer who terrorized California in the 1970s. And um, their recollections and um, observations on coping with trauma were so helpful to me. And I shared them with Lizzie. And I think I think it became a very rich conversation we were able to have. So yes, I think you're right that my, the, the documentary work I have done certainly helped guide me in directing Handmaid's Tale. It's Natalie here. Could you be able to tell us, like, how did you actually get the job? Like, how did this actually come up? And sort of what was going through your mind when you found out that you would be directing the finale for season four? Well, I had made a scripted feature called Lost Girls, which is on Netflix, um, that debuted at Sundance last year, right before the pandemic. Uh, well, right, but yeah, right before we we knew we were facing a pandemic here in the U.S. And so that had been my first scripted feature, and it was based on a true story, and it featured a very strong female heroine. And um, so I think it was that work. Um, as well as the work in All Be Gone in the Dark, which had kind of a combination of both scripted and unscripted sequences that caught the attention of the producers of Handmaid's Tale. Um, I was offered the job in the fall of 2020. And to tell you the truth, I don't know why, <laughs> except that that work was out there and preceded me. And I was, you know, very grateful um, and excited to, to embark on it. <laughs> so I don't know what made them hire me right in the first place, but um, I'm very happy that they did. And I spoke to um, one of your natives, Dana Reed, who was a director on Handmaids, and she kind of gave me the a wonderful introduction to the cast and crew before I embarked on the journey, um, which was, I was, I'm so grateful to Dana. Yes. And I'll be going in the dark has, is, has screened in Australia. Yes. Um, and we've all seen it and yeah, we know exactly, exactly <laughs> what you mean there with the links. It's quite incredible. Liz, it's Sana here now. I wanted to find out a bit about the prep that goes into preparing for a Handmaid's shoot. So how long do you have to prep for a Handmaid's episode and, and what's involved in that? Um, well, I went to Canada and I had a two week quarantine in which I did a lot of prep without actually seeing anybody. But I was able to be on Zooms, of course, and, you know, start talking to the showrunner, Bruce. And, of course, um, with Lizzie and then also with Joe um, about the big scenes that they had. And then I think I had about two weeks of in-person prep. Um, so I had four weeks, which because of the quarantine, I think was a bit longer than I would normally have. So that was great because it was such a big episode. And then, you know, and when, once I was out of my quarantine, I really hit the ground running in terms of scouting, looking for that bridge, looking for the right uh, wooded area, looking for the right, um, <laughs> you know, the right 
right place for Commander Waterford to meet his end. And um, <laughs> and uh, so so that's that's what prep is like. And then, you know, towards the end, towards the last few days before you start shooting, it's all hectic. It's, you know, picking out all the costumes for the for background. It's dealing with last minute changes and also then getting to know some of the actors who were arriving a bit later, like Max, who plays Nick and uh, and Samira and O.T., and on COVID, like, can you tell me how big a pain was it to have to work around those restrictions or by then were you kind of used to that? Yeah, I was pretty used to it. I mean, you know, it had been almost, you know, seven or eight months that we'd all been wearing masks. What was lovely mm-hmm. is that because of all the testing that the production did on set, there there was some relaxation because, you know, everybody was being tested daily and nobody was doing anything fun or going out or doing anything. So there was very, <laughs> very little danger of... Um, of, you know, sort of external transmission. So, you know, you could kind of give people a hug every once in a while and and not be so removed um, as time went on. Um, And it was a very, very warm uh, collegial set. Um, So yes, everybody but the actors were were certainly all masked up, Um, but I got very used to it. Hey, Liz, um, this is Haiti here. It's so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to ask about the the callbacks to episode 101 in the finale. How did you weave those in? Were those uh, scenes at Jezebel's reused footage or were they all reshot? Um, that's a great question. The, the opening scene where June and Fred are dancing is um, original. We, sh- we shot that scene mm-hmm. and... Um, but then, of course, you know, as, as you're saying, there were a lot of scenes in 101, uh, specifically the salvaging, that w- I used as ref- uh, you know, a reference for directing the salvaging, of course, of, of Commander Waterford. But there were several scenes, of course, that were flashbacks mm-hmm. um, of, you know, of a rape of, of June by Commander Waterford and, um, you know, a moment where she's going down the stairs into his library that were scenes that had already been shot, as you probably noticed. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, she did look a little different. <laughs> and, you know, we have to talk about the salvaging of Commander Waterford. Um, can you just set the scene, put, you know, put us in the woods there with, with all the former handmaids. Um, can you talk us through shooting that epic finale? Yeah, it was it was a great um, joy, and there were, it was also full of surprises. Um, you know, when we first scouted the scene, you know, there were six feet of snow, and um, it was in my mind going to be something a little bit different than when we came back two weeks later to shoot, and all the snow had melted. Um, but it was still absolutely beautiful. The way our shooting schedule was organized, we really wanted the border bridge, um, the scene for the chase in the woods and the, uh, the rock where, where Fred would be hung to be close to each other. Of course, that totally failed. And they were all <laughs> the places that we all fell in love with um, were, were all quite far. But we did find you know, this, the, the woods that we found. It was actually the first place I scouted and, and I fell in love with it. Um, because there was this kind of, you know, there was this great wooded area, but also these wonderful clearings in which we'd be able to shoot from above and kind of get the scope, the eye of God of what the handmaids were doing to Commander Waterford. And, you know, the chasing happened in, in a basin and we, you know, there were wire cameras strung from a tree to a tree that would uh, keep pace with the runners and be always directly in front of them. So we were able to get those incredible close-ups while 
um, you know, but while Lizzie and Joe were running. So that was really exciting to have those those toys in order to feel the visceral energy of that chase. Mm. Um, and yes, and the clearing, of course, was fantastic because we have the most incredible drone operator cinematographer um, who was able to catch that eye of God kind of circle of the of the women uh, around Fred. And everybody was game. I mean, it was an all-night shoot. Um, one of our poor handmade actors was was pregnant, and so we were, we were quite concerned about her running through the woods at 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, but uh, but. Wow. Joe and Lizzie, you know, could not have been more game. I think they had fun. Our stunts coordinator was amazing. And yeah, we just we just went for it and had fun. You know, there were a lot of discussions about how gore we really wanted to be. And and for me, it was really important to really just experience it through the faces of our heroes rather than, you know, seeing an arm being, you know, ripped from a prosthetic you know, that way it was what was really key to me was was and I, you know, and I, I think for the everybody was really being on Lizzie's face, on on Emily, Alexis's face and really just experiencing what this, you know, this frenzied revenge was was doing to them. That It was both, you know, gleeful and terrifying at the same time. Mm. Yes, the joy on Emily's face <laughs> was one of the highlights for me. <laughs> Um, on that woods, one of those final scenes, you see all the torches in a circle, which looks like an eye. Is that is that a detail that you came up with? Was that already in the script? Like, how does how does stuff like that come up? Um, well, Bruce will certainly kill me, but I think it's a detail I came up with. Although, if it's in the script, he'll <laughs> definitely kill me. Um, I think. No, I mean, you know what 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 Bruce had. Um, you know, we had talked about was there, of course, they were all going to be carrying flashlights because they're running through the woods at night, right? So that, that makes sense. But then if you're going to go dismember someone and kill them and <laughs> kick them to death, you're probably going to drop your flashlight, right? Like, what are you going to do with your flashlight when you're doing that? And, and it was in thinking through that action that the idea of the flashlights in the circle came to me. And then, you know, and, and Handmaids is famous for those Eye of God shots, you know, those overhead drone shots that yeah. are. Um, so I was certainly just taking my inspiration from all the episodes that had come before me. Yeah, amazing. And just on that, um, can I ask, you know, with this show, it does have such an established look and a visual language. But um, what, what are other things that you would say kind of are your own flourishes there? Like what, what's Liz Gabusian <laughs> about it, if you like? <laughs> Well, What's your touch here? Yeah, I mean, I certainly I wanted, I mean, the show is so beautiful and I wanted to, you know, live in that world myself. I didn't, I don't think, I mean, I think it's it's just so elevated. I think for me, um, and I'd say for Lizzie and Joe as well, the scene where um, June confronts Fred in his cell and, you know, they ultimately have this conversation which leads June to, you know, her conclusion that she's she's going to go for it. She's going to, uh, she can't let Fred go. That scene, we, we worked on a lot, Lizzie, Joe, Bruce, and I. And that's where a lot of sort of my, the work that I had done with the survivors on I'll Be Gone in the Dark came into play, just kind of understanding what, what would an apology do to you? You know, hearing your tormentor try to apologize <laughs> and knowing that they only understand if, if that, you know, one one hundredth of what they've done to you. Um, some of the survivors I spoke to talked about rape as a, as a soul murder, right? There was just part of you that would never come back. And to, to get an apology is, is just so hollow that I think for some, 
it could trigger rage that that you had thought you had buried or dealt with. And so we worked a bunch on the emotion of that scene. And visually, um, I really wanted to be handheld. I wanted to be free. I wanted both actors, Lizzie and Joe, to be able to move around that room. And, you know, we talked about sort of Joe a bit as prey and, and Lizzie, you know, sort of circling him. And I wanted her to have that freedom to kind of just move around the room and own it and touch his things and, you know, take control in that in that mm-hmm. way, um, violating his privacy and the sanctity of his space and his belongings. Um, so shooting that scene handheld was, I think, something that was important to me in order to create that kind of fluidity for the actors. Um, of course, it makes it more challenging. You know, the lighting on Handmaids is so exquisite and so planned. Um, it certainly made it more challenging in terms of that precision. But I think what it gave to the actors was a kind of freedom to just live in that scene. And it, and it really was such an important one for the episode. Yeah, that's an amazing scene. Yeah, <laughs> that's so good. Um, the finales of Handmaids always sort of step up a notch. Like the show was already super high quality, which is why we love it. But there's something about a finale which is quite cinematic. Is that something that you went into knowing or is is there like how was that effect actually achieved? Oh, boy. I mean, I don't know. All I knew know is that I gave it my all and I thought, you know, so carefully about every scene and working with Stuart Biddlecombe, our incredible cinematographer, just you know, we talked about every single scene and what could the camera be doing to augment the meaning and the themes of that scene. So I don't think I specifically um, said, well, this is a finale, so it has to be X, Y, or Z. It was just that I loved it mm-hmm. and I wanted to make it as good as it could be with and all the tools that were at my disposal, you know, just using them all and thinking outside the box and how we could continue to to push the form. Liz, um, the script that has been released online, it features a deleted scene um, where some kind of Gilead fangirls are harassing June at home. Now, I know scenes get deleted, you know, for all sorts of reasons, but but what can you tell us about, about that scene and, and perhaps why it was cut from the episode? I have no idea. <laughs> I do not know why I was cut from the episode. I had actually deleted a different scene and that scene was in my cut. And um, the scene that I had deleted came back and uh, and that scene was gone. So I, I don't know why. I mean, maybe they just didn't feel June needed it, you know, to be pushed to go see Waterford. But I, I don't actually know. And I, one day I'll ask Bruce. <laughs> and and i was really sad because um one of the the actors who i cast to be that lead handmaid was just fantastic lizzie and i loved her so i I do feel sad about that i have to say can you tell us which scene um you uh had cut that ended back in or is that a secret (laughs) uh uh, i don't know is anyone from hulu on this call i don't know if anyone cares if i say that not currently (laughs) Tell. <laughs> this is only being recorded, but yeah. All right, I, I just won't get my. I'm since I'm a new since I'm a new kid on the block. I'll keep it to myself. Fair. Okay. No worries. Um, do you think you'll return for season five? Would you like to? Oh, I would definitely like to. Um, I, you know, the the team in Toronto, the crew, um, the the you know the gaffers, the grips, the AD department. I loved I loved everybody, and the actors are just 
divine actors and humans. Um, and the show is so good. Um, so yes, I would love to go back. I would love to go back. <laughs> yes, it is good. I mean, this would be a weird one to answer no to, I guess, but I mean, were you a fan of the show? Like we, have you always, have you watched it? From the, from the beginning? I did. I watched season one and two. I got a little behind in three, which was unfortunate because three is so strong. But then, of course, after, you know, when I, when I was going to come work on the show, I caught up on everything. I think <laughs> for, for some Americans, given what we were going through here in our country, at a certain point, for some of us, I think it became hard to watch that show. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I mean, of course, some people gravitated towards it and for, for others, it was hard. And it become hard for me because I was seeing, you know, reproductive rights getting rolled back. And, you know, I mean, so, so it was a hard, it was a hard show for our political moment, although as important as ever, but I'm, you know, it certainly feels a little different today. Yeah. Yeah. And one character we haven't focused on much who does feature prominently in the finale, and I'd love to know your thoughts and how you worked with her as well. Serena, Serena Joy, (laughs) Serena Waterford, her scenes, um, I don't know, I've got a theory. Did she know, did she anticipate that Fred may not be on that Zoom call? What what do you think? (laughs) Those scenes at the end there that... (laughs) Settle a bet. They don't believe me. I'd like to read it that way. (laughs) Um, You know, I didn't think about it that way. Um, And if Yvonne did, she kept that to herself. I mean, I definitely thought, you know, that, that of course their relationship was at this kind of very tender spot where they had kind of made a decision to make a go of it together, this new life, but of course felt extremely, um, at least, you know, her felt extremely betrayed by him and angry. There was so, there was so much anger between them. So, you know, in the scenes of, of, of Serena and Fred together, you know, we are always thinking about space and distance, you know, and maybe COVID was in our brain, but it was always about, you know, something of a dance of them coming together and then moving apart. Um, and, um, you know, the, the times that they're in the same frame are very infrequent, um, you know, sort of echoing the dis-ease or the lack of ease that they, they had in this relationship. Um, I think the relationship felt like it was moving towards a sort of partnership, almost like a working partnership. Um, as opposed to a romantic um, relationship. So, but no, for the Zoom call, I think she, you know, I think she was frustrated by the lack of, you know, the slow internet that she was experiencing. Um, but I, I don't know that she played it thinking that Fred wouldn't join. I, I don't know that, but perhaps, perhaps she did. Fiona, I think you owe me $5. <laughs> okay, that's a no. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I love that we can go straight to the source and ask. Thank you, Liz. Appreciate that. Well, Yvonne would be the source, but um, if she, if she did it, she yeah. did it all by herself, and uh, it wasn't something I was uh, I was directing in that in that moment. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, well, if we can pick up on a different detail, one of the very last things we see is June coming home, and she's all bloody, and she picks up baby Nicole, and she seems to very deliberately smear Fred's blood onto the cheek of baby Nicole. Would you be able to give us a little bit of insight maybe into the meaning of that scene? Mm. Well, that's the great mystery, right, of where this episode is ending. So I think, you know, however I feel about it, you know, it may not be how... Bruce feels about it. So it may be completely irrelevant to what's going to happen in season five. Um, But, you know, I mean, for me, the scene was about um, June just, you know, it's the calm after the storm and it's, it's a slowly dawning realization that she 
is not who she used to be. She never will be. I mean, as far as she could see or feel. And as she told Emily earlier in the episode, you know, a good mother would be able to let go. And, you know, mm-hmm. June was not able to let go. So, you know, hence by her own stated logic, she is deeming herself unfit to mother this child. And, you know, I think that 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 moment was articulating that inner turmoil. And in some ways, you know, that was Nicole going to be dead to her? You know, were they, was that what that scene was about? Um, Again, this is my interpretation and I have no insight into what is happening next. Um, But, you know, that's how I I thought about that scene. Mm. The fan reactions have been, or quite hilarious, some of the tweets as well we've seen. You've retweeted some of the some of the classic ones. Um, how what's it like having this out in the world now and kind of interacting with just seeing how how this <laughs> the response to your epic season finale episode? Oh, it's so it's really fun. I mean, it's so I mean the fans are so dedicated to this show and they love the characters so much and they love you know June and Nick kissing in front of Fred and it's just like these details that you know we thought of in the moment like oh let's make it a three shot so he, so Fred is sort of caught there and 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 you know it, you know it it just meant so much to the viewers to have that experience and it, and it's just it's just delicious to watch the world react um, you know as you know with documentaries you have maybe a slightly smaller audience so so it was just it's just delightful to kind of get that real-time um reaction and you know and people just love the show so much and it's, it's just gratifying to to give them something to um, dig into yeah there was one i saw um and i thought this one is optimism someone <laughs> did say how do we know fred's really dead <laughs> it was just so- because they never saw it because they didn't see his head. Um, uh, yes. Uh, well, all I can say. I think it was pretty clear. All I can say is that Joe Fines was the model for that prosthetic body hanging. So um, perhaps, uh, but, you know, perhaps he had he had one trick up his sleeve that none of us know about. <laughs> In the finale, there are quite a lot of scenes which are filmed in the dark and, of course, like the bridge where um, Fred is handed over and the women are released and then, of course, the woods. What are some of the challenges or the um, difficulties of um, filming in the evening? Oh, fatigue. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, part of it is that you 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 have a hard stop, right? I mean, you're not going to, um, if you're shooting a night scene, you're not going to keep shooting into daytime. So you have to be very, you have to manage your time carefully. But because of COVID, um, the way our days worked was we didn't have that hour-long lunch break in the middle of the day there, because, you know, people were sort of eating separately. You couldn't have that communal lunch. So days were more compressed anyway, and we were used to that. Um, and they were our last days, those those days that we shot the, 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 the salvaging in the woods and the bridge and the women coming out of the, the, the woods to the parking lot. Um, that Those were all our last days of production. And the crew, I mean, not me, I, I came in fresh for the finale, but the crew had just been working nonstop and they were triumphant, um, but also exhausted. So I think it was um, good that there were our last few days because there was a feeling that, um, you know, get through this and we're all going to, you know, be able to high five and, and just feel feel really good. Um, <laughs> and that the crew was really heroic. They were really amazing. Liz, so you've really made the jump over into fantastic scripted content, but you're also very involved in documentary making still. And I'm really interested to know what 
a show or a project has to have to to pique your interest, to make you want to be involved now, now that you're so well established across genres? Oh, well, thank you. That's so nice of you to say. Um, I mean, I, I just, I get really excited by projects with, with, you know, with strong female protagonists who are complicated and nuanced. Um, I get excited by, you know, thrillers and drama. And, you know, I do get excited about, you know, the storytelling that sort of flirts with the edges of um, human behavior and transgression. So I would say that all of those things really appeal to me. And of course, Handmaids has has lots of that. I'll be gone in the darkness too, of course. And so, so I would say that. But, you know, I also, you know, I'm also drawn to lighter topics as well. But I, I'd say that those are the strongest denominators for me of what, what pulls me into something. Yeah, that, and that's absolutely a thread that I can see across um, I'll be gone in the dark and The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Liz, we so appreciate your time. And as I say, like it's such a, it's an indulgence for us to be able to <laughs> just go over our favourite show with you. But but truly, we, we your insights are so <laughs> so rich and fascinating. Um, what, what's next for you? How how, how are you? Um, what, what's on the agenda for you? What can oh, we look well, forward to next? Um, I have a a documentary coming out this this fall that is on Jacques Cousteau, um, a very different kind of figure. So that's when I say, you know, it's not always women and transgression. Yeah. Um, this was, a, you know, a childhood uh, hero of mine that I sort of made somewhat as a love letter to my son, who I realized. I mean, I don't know how old you all are and if you you know Jacques Cousteau. Yeah. But I, he was really, really vanished from the public conversation. And I was reading a book about undersea world life to my son, who was small at the time. You know, he was watching Shark Week and Blue Planet and all this stuff, but had no idea where it all started. And, and that inspired that film. Um, and I have a couple other scripted projects, a pilot I'm very excited about and a movie as well. So um We'll see which one kind of happens next. I don't I don't know exactly what will come after Cousteau, but I'm excited about all of it. Great. Oh, well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> maybe hopefully Handmaids or two <laughs> when that comes back. I do hope so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, look, we look forward to it, um, everything you've got coming out. Um, and as I say, thank you so much. It's It's been such a treat to, to go over the details with you and to have a chat. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Thank Liz. you. Thank you so much for having me. I was going to say, I think now I'm a fan of not asking about our theories because I still want to live in a world exactly. where <laughs> maybe she didn't know and I still want to live in a world where maybe was your theory about the kiss with between Nick and June, <laughs> your theory, Fiona, was that it was um, a dream sequence. And I like thinking maybe it was, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I kind of like living in the unknown. You'll notice I didn't ask Bruce about that because also I don't want to know for sure either. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I'm the opposite. I'm like, tell me everything. Tell me everything you had in mind. <laughs> tell me I'm, I'm reading it right. You just didn't want, you just want, didn't want to have to give me another $5. Well, also, I will say to you, Haley, she did say that Yvonne Strahovski's the font of all information on that. So until we speak to her, yeah. <laughs> it could still be. So no, I'm not paying up yet. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. <laughs> Um, look, that was so good. That's so, such rich in detail about the finale. Yeah, I just wanted us to, her to put us in the woods with with all of the handmaids going at Fred. That was <laughs> was just like being there. Also, it's a pregnant <laughs> handmaid running at four a.m. Oh my god, poor thing, <laughs> trooper. Well, yeah. it's funny. Like now that that episode has sat with us for a little bit longer, and the and the scene that always comes back to me is her and Fred in that cell where she's kind of stalking him. So it was so great to hear that that was a really important scene for her as well, and mm, that they yeah. did it a bit differently and. 
all that sort of background knowledge that she was bringing in about what um, rape victims think and feel. Yeah. How rich is that? That's actually amazing. Mm. And I'll be gone in the dark. That That is screening on Binge um, and Foxtel across Australia. So, yeah, do seek that out if you can. It's a fantastic, incredible true crime um, exploration. I watched it recently and it helped deepen my understanding of The Handmaid's Tale, I think. As Liz was saying, it, it revisits a lot of the victims of mm. um, the Golden State Killer. And a lot of his victims were couples. And of the victims that were revisited in the documentary, I think he had... 50 rape victims over his time as an active serial killer and rapist of all of the ones that they revisited in the documentary, only one couple had stayed together and all of the others had not been able to, to deal with the the trauma of their experience and had separated. And just rewatching that really hit home when I was reflecting on the handmaid's tale and the, the Nick and the Luke Mm. story. Um, and, and definitely where, we were left at the end of this season finale mm. with Luke in the bedroom. Yeah, there's there's a lot to dwell on. Yeah. Well, look, thanks for listening. We hope that helped. It certainly helped us just unpack more and more rich details of that incredible season four finale. Just a reminder, you can rewatch the the entire season four across SBS On Demand. That is all available at a box set up at SBS On Demand right now. So I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Haiti Island, Sana Kadar and Natalie Handley. And thank you for listening. We have loved watching this season four along with you this year. But we still want to know what you think. If, if more and more details are coming back to you, we're still checking the hashtag. So keep reaching out on Twitter. You can find me at anything but Fifi. Haiti, where can we find you? At Haiti Island. Sana? At Sana underscore Kadar. And Natalie, where can we find you? At Natalie Handley. And yes, use that hashtag eyes on Gilead. And while we have you, why not leave some feedback and give us a rating on your favourite podcast app because people who are still watching the season may not be aware of it, so it might help other people to find the podcast to help them unpack all of those details and hear our terrible predictions <laughs> that don't come to light. And look, there are no fresh episodes of The Handmaid's Tale yet. We have to wait for them to go off and make season five. (laughs) Hurry up. Um, But uh, we'll be back to recap that when it does. But in the meantime, if you want some recommendations for other things to watch, head to SBS Guide where we have a whole lot of lists and recommendations. Anyone else got anything to recommend people watch? Yeah, if you want another Liz Garbus fix, I highly recommend watching The Fourth Estate, which is available on SBS On Demand. It's a, a documentary of hers from a couple of years ago and it follows the journalists of the New York Times over the first year of the Trump presidency. Mm. It is fascinating to, to revisit now, especially you know after the, the storming of the Capitol at the start of the year. Just going back and kind of revisiting those early days is, is still very prescient. Yeah, that's so good. I didn't realise that was still streaming. Excellent call out there, Haiti. So that's The Fourth Estate at SBS On Demand. Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Walmart. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down. You don't own me, I'm not your property. So take your dirty builders, thinking eyes off me. I don't know. Is anyone from Hulu on this call? I don't know if anyone cares if I say it. <laughs> <laughs>